Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, good people of the podcast world. Welcome to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. Coming to you from Colorado on a beautiful day. It was a little smoky here in the San Luis Valley, but uh, we had a bunch of wind maybe a couple days ago. And it just blew it all away, and it is crystal clear and crisp and uh, makes me feel good. Clean air. It's important. One of the many things I feel like we don't notice we don't have, (laughs) especially after living in Southern California for as long as I did. Coming out here, it is a viscerally different experience. Um, Today, I... I'm going to talk about astrology today on the podcast, which I haven't really done in a while. I've uh, maybe briefly uh, mentioned a few things here and there. If you are a long-term listener of the podcast, you know that I used to talk about astrology a lot more than I do. I did an astrology apprenticeship, which ended just about the time that I launched this podcast. I have had some seriously amazing astrologers on the show. Um, If you want to go back in time and listen to some of those episodes, highly recommend all of them. Um, But some of the highlights for me were the one with Jason Hawley, who I hope to have back on the show at some point. Um, Mark Jones, uh, Timothy Holleran talked about the um, astrological significance and characteristics of the millennial generation, so definitely something to check out if that is of interest to you. Um, as I mentioned in this show, though, I have been feeling the pull toward astrology more. Um, I took a break from it for the most part. I didn't totally opt out, but I sort of stepped away from it because... Um, I came into contact with both, I mean, firsthand, uh, based on how I was using it and then also witnessing how other people were using it. Some of those people, professionals who are teaching lots of other people, astrology, a lot of it rubbed me the wrong way. And I saw a lot of, um, spiritual bypassing behavior and just, uh, lack of experience in, um, counseling people. It's, uh, a field that, has certifications for sure. I did receive one, as did the three ladies you will hear today on the podcast, but there aren't sort of formal regulations and laws around astrologers as there are, let's say, for therapists, Um, which on the one hand is, I think, a good thing. It enables people to think creatively about the counseling experience and how they want to deliver it, but also dangerous if the people who are the counselors have not done the necessary work on themselves or training to understand how to communicate with people on such sensitive issues. Um, 
often astrology astrology readings talk a lot about trauma and personal experience. And if you're not equipped to handle that um, as the practitioner, then you can do quite a bit of damage. Um, I never uh, intended to be an astrologer, a practicing astrologer, that is. I took this course, as I do with other courses, um, because I just like learning things for myself and having the ability to practice these things in my everyday life. The next thing I really would like to learn um, is herbalism to some extent, uh, but again, don't really want to be an herbalist. Um, Anyway, I was doing a bunch of astrology readings at the time because doing readings is one of the most informative ways to learn astrology, to sort of gain insight to how archetypes are showing up in individual lives relative to that person's chart. Um, so some of you may have even gotten an astrology reading for me. This was back in late 2018 or just 2018 in general. Um, but doing those readings made me realize how even as someone that was so conscious of and self-reflective about my own patterns and my own potential projections, I could just say how easily myself and other people could slip into um, engaging with people in this realm in a way that may not be super beneficial. So I decided to take a, a step back and just sort of look at what was out there um, from a distance. And I never rejected astrology. I never stopped thinking it was meaningful. But uh, it it really had to be something that I could integrate into myself in a way that felt very, very authentic and clean and healthy. Um, and so in order to do that, like I said, I just took a little bit of a break. But I feel the call to go a little bit back into it, maybe because the world is crumbling around me and I need something to help keep the faith. Um, but yeah, I've been... Uh, if, if anyone's interested, by the way, in learning astrology, there's there's lots of different resources out there. One really great resource is Astrology University, where you can find lectures by countless astrologers and sort of create your own program. Um, there's also astrologers that often that offer apprenticeships, as like the one that I did. Um, one of the people who I resonate, I would say the person, the astrologer who I resonate the most with hands down is uh, Jason Hawley, who I mentioned, who I had on the podcast. He um, focuses a lot on archetypal psychology and mythology, which are definitely my two main um, areas of interest. And he has, uh, he's doing a series that he is all offered on astrology university, uh, where he goes through the different signs and talks about them from, um, uh, a psychological and archetypal and mythological way. Highly, highly recommend those. They're super dense, um, but I feel like every time I watch one, I have like 87 epiphanies about my own makeup and my chart and my own psychology. So certainly that is someone I recommend. Um, so I have been diving deeper into a lot of the Jason Hawley stuff, just sort of working with these archetypes um, in an astro drama kind of a way in my own life, looking at my life in a symbolic way, in a metaphorical way. You know, I feel like when I hear someone talk or I listen to a song or I see the weather change outside, I'm always thinking about it in an astrological and an archetypal way. And I find that 
Um, it's just a much more complex and dynamic way to experience the world. And that's what I like about it. I think I am the type of person that um, tends to focus a lot on sort of like the intellectual, logical um, part of things. And I unpack things in that regard. But sometimes that's just not sufficient. Um, and so when I can kind of relax my mind and sink into something a little bit more emotional, a little bit more metaphorical, that makes me feel a lot calmer. So all of that to say, one of the ways that I wanted to reintroduce astrology to this podcast was to have my three lovely friends, Kestrel, Jasmine, and Eliza on the show. Uh, all of us did the astrology apprenticeship together a couple years ago, and they're all three of them are practicing astrologers, and they also host a podcast called Cosmic Tonic. So I wanted to bring their voices to this podcast. I hope that if you enjoy what they have to say and their perspectives that you check out their podcast, listen to that. They have a bunch of episodes up there already. Um, we recorded one together where I talked about the archetype of the sacred prostitute. Um, so if you're interested in that, definitely check it out, but highly recommend all of their episodes. Also, for those of you who are regular listeners of the show, you may recognize Kestrel's voice. Um, I had Kestrel on the podcast maybe earlier this year, I believe. Um, she's a psychotherapist, and we talked a lot about the sort of interplay specifically between therapy and astrology and grief. Um, she had introduced me to um, Henna and Madeline of the Climbing Grief Fund, who I had on the podcast uh, just prior to the episode with Kestrel, and we sort of did a two-part series about climbing and grief and, um, yeah, a lot of those uplifting topics. Um, so if you haven't checked those episodes out, um, I recommend them. What else? Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to everyone who has become a patron. Um, I am so appreciative and so blown away by the way that this community is forming around me. Um, as I've spoken about often, I was so desperate for community and friends prior to starting this podcast and I didn't know where to go and I felt super alone and I created this podcast in many ways to sort of magnetize like-minded people toward myself and for those of you that I have met in person, for those that are participating in these WhatsApp groups as a part of the Patreon, it's just been such an honor to see all of you and hear all of you and get to know all of you. And I feel like I'm just at the very beginning with this land that I bought in Colorado and this podcast of, of really, you know, forming this sort of really strong, lifelong, multi-generational community. Um, but just sort of taking a step back and watching how it's coming together around me in such a beautiful, organic way is... Yeah, there aren't really words to describe the level of gratitude that I feel. So if you would like to participate more in getting to know people on the podcast um, and supporting the show, head over to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. Um, we're in the middle of our October book club right now. We're reading Belonging by Tokopa Turner. If you would like to join, please sign up at any point in October. We meet and discuss the book live at the end of the month over Zoom. Um, and also a Patreon perk are these WhatsApp groups that I've been talking about, um, taking about 20 to 30 of you, putting you all in a WhatsApp group chat and just letting you go wild, basically. Um, it's amazing to see how many people have already met each other within those groups and um, 
the ideas that everyone shares there are have been so inspirational and um, meaningful to me and I know the rest of the members in the group. So if you'd like to participate in any of that, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. You can also support the show by leaving some stars on the iTunes app and a review. This helps the podcast show up more in search results and um, makes the pod less, podcast look more legitimate so that when I reach out to people, um, they think it's worthwhile to do the show. So important things. Sorry, by the way, for this very creaky chair. And like sitting totally still and somehow it's still making very loud noises. Um, what else did I want to mention? Oh, another way to sort of communicate with um, people who listen to the show. Uh, one of my supporters and listeners, Justin, created a Reddit thread. There's some really great topics already up there. If you would like to participate, the subreddit. I always say Reddit thread. It's not a Reddit thread. It's a subreddit, right? I don't really know much about Reddit. The only things I look at on Reddit are this Millennials Guide Uh thread, thread, subreddit. Okay. I'm just going to stop. Um, anyway, if you'd like to participate in that, if you are a Reddit kind of person or not, and you just want to meet people, but don't necessarily want to sign up on Patreon or join one of the WhatsApp groups, Reddit is the place. It's reddit.com slash millennials guide, if I'm not mistaken. Um, okay. So moving on today's episode, I talked a lot in my last intro in my episode with Kevin about discernment, um, talking about how I've become a little bit frustrated by us pointing fingers at people and blaming them for the bad decisions of those who listen or follow them. And I don't, I feel like this is still a very prominent idea in my head, something that keeps getting reiterated and repeated. I keep getting reminded of it. Last night, uh, I watched The Social Dilemma, which totally reminded me of the same thing. I mean, we are completely lacking in our ability to digest information in a way that allows us to think critically. Whether you're on the side of thinking the virus is fake and masks are leading to um, mandatory vaccinations, or you're on the other side and you're completely horrified by and think that if you step outside your house or go on a hike by yourself without a mask that you're going to die, like all of these are symptoms of a culture that doesn't know how to think for themselves and to think critically. It's amazing to me how many people think they're like the defectors or the ones that are rejecting the conventional culture or the government or whatever, and they are just regurgitating the same types of cult-like fear-based thinking as the other side. Um, so I really encourage everyone to think about the fact that the information that you're receiving, you need to be able to read the opposing viewpoint and decide for yourself what you think. If if the information you read is constantly confirming your bias, then there may be an issue. I remember doing something a few years ago. Um, there was someone that I really liked and respected who really liked Jordan Peterson, and I didn't know much about him. I had heard him talk about a couple things. Some things made sense to me. Some things didn't make sense to me. But I thought, you know what, I'm just going to read Jordan Peterson's book and I'm going to really think about this from a personal, experiential, intuitive, discerned perspective and decide whether I think he's full of shit or not. And when I read the book, I actually thought that a lot of what he said was legit. I did agree with a whole lot of what he talked about in terms of getting your life together. What I completely disagreed with was his perspective on and viewpoint on gender. 
Um, the whole lobster thing was insane to me, especially coming from someone who studied gender and sexuality in school. Um, his research is super shoddy and uh, just really misguided. I don't even think you need to know gender and sexuality to, un to realize in on like an internal, of course, if you are in touch with your internal intuition, um, it's pretty obvious to see that he is misguided um, and coming from his own fear-based, um, judgmental, projected perspective. Um, anyway, it was such an interesting experience for me to read things in that manner now as an adult. You know, we're not kids anymore. We're not just reading books in school and doing book reports. We are consuming information in a way that should help us become more intelligent, become more aware, become more empathetic, become more capable of rejecting bullshit and shoddy reasoning. Um, but it was, it was inspiring to me to the point where I started reading books that like disagreed to each other to the point where they called each other out. So like the authors, um, referenced one book and was like, this is why this book is wrong. And then I would read that book. And, you know, I think it's something I talk about on the podcast, nuance, paradox, etc. But I'm, I'm the type of person that, it's not very hard for me to see different sides of things and see that paradoxes are just versions of a whole um, and that all of these things can exist simultaneously. Uh, but I highly recommend it. I highly recommend reading things you think you disagree with or turning on Fox News and watching that for a while. Like, is there anything there that you actually think is legitimate? And realizing how easy it is to get stuck in a just a confirmation bias. I'm sure a lot of you have watched The Social Dilemma. If you haven't, I recommend it. But basically, we are being fed information to keep us on our screen. So our phones are not showing us something that we're going to outright be like, oh, I don't want to see that I'm turning this off. They're spoon feeding you the same information over and over and over again from different sources. And this leads to insanity and doesn't at all teach discernment or critical thinking but what does is to opt out of that and to purposefully seek out people and things that trigger you or make you feel uncomfortable um, have conversations with people that are willing to have conversations with you in a calm reasonable manner agree to disagree agree to learn from people you disagree with um, I think we're going to waste a lot of time if we continue to point fingers at things and people and um, we don't, you know, one of my favorite phrases is when you point a finger at someone else, you have three fingers pointing back at yourself. It is a waste of time to blame people and use that as a strategy for moving forward. Sure, look at something like social media and say like, yeah, that's not great, but that's not the problem. The problem is the way that social media has been able to infect and control our minds and our behavior, which at the end of the day cannot be solved unless we personally take action against it. Social media is not going to change. Crazy narcissistic gurus, they're not going to change. And if they do, fine, but it's not going to be because you did anything. We have to opt out of these systems. We cannot expect that these systems are here to protect us or... Um, are going to change in any sort of substantial way. Approaching things and life with some degree of doubt or critique 
maybe that feels a little bit more scary. It feels scarier to walk on shaky ground. It's a lot easier to walk out the door in the morning and think you understand everything and have control over everything. And, you know, the government's manipulating you or the virus is going to kill everyone. But that's just not the way the world works. The world is a lot more complex than that. And the healthier thing to do is to embrace that complexity and nuance and uncertainty and find peace within that. Find peace within the fact that you have control over and can take ownership over your own thoughts and your own life. And if you're surrounded by a bunch of people that say the same exact things as you do and reinforce your opinions at all costs and you're reading articles that do the same, there's something seriously wrong there. And I'm bringing this back around one because the social dilemma is fresh in my mind, but also because this relates to astrology. Doing and practicing any kind of spirituality requires a great deal of self-responsibility and self-reflection and the acknowledgement that these tools can be used incorrectly very, very, very easily and oftentimes without you even knowing that that's what you're doing. So I want to bring astrology back to this podcast a bit. It is something that's very important to me. I find a great deal of meaning in it, but I am bringing it back with a warning label and a disclaimer because I don't want to participate in anyone else's bullshit or unhealthy psychological projection or spiritual bypassing. I want and hope that we all can use these tools as a way to enhance our ability to be discerning and pragmatic and um, use these tools to find where we are full of shit, (laughs) not cover up those facts with these types of tools. I'm going to play you in today with a song called A Trick of the Light by Villagers. And the reason I'm playing it is because when I heard this song, I think it was right near the end of our astrology apprenticeship. And I remember listening to it and being like, the, some of the lyrics are, um, when I see a light in the sky tonight, no one's going to tell me it's a trick of the light. And my first reaction was, but maybe it is just a trick of the light. You know, if we can go outside and see a shooting star and hold the truths that one, that's just a random ass shooting star, but also maybe that was some degree of sort of synchronistic magic that occurred in your life because you looked up and right when you looked up that star that star shot through the sky that's how I approach spirituality and astrology I think of it as on the one hand it could be totally bullshit and all confirmation bias and all my own projection or there could be some link between myself and the cosmos and I only operate with both of those things on firm ground on either side of me. Because we just don't know. We have no capability of knowing. Spiritual beliefs can't be proven or disproven. So the only way to operate and use them in a healthy way is to recognize at all times that you might be full of shit. So find magic in the world. Allow that to add to your life for sure. But please don't let it don't get carried away and don't use it in an unhealthy way for you or for somebody else. Um, I trust that this audience knows how to do that because you guys are pretty fucking awesome. So, um, 
enjoy the song, enjoy this episode, and I will catch you on the other end. And 
So I have the pleasure of having my three friends, Eliza, Jasmine, and Kestrel on the podcast. Uh, this is Kestrel's second time, so she's ultra special. Um, uh, these gals I met when I did an astrology apprenticeship. When was that? In 2018? Um, and, uh, we are obviously still all friends and they have a podcast now called Cosmic Tonic, which is about astrology, but also more broad than that. Um, and I, I was super in, in the world of astrology there for a little while. And then I feel like I took a couple of steps out just to kind of reassess what meaning it had in my life and what role I wanted it to play. Um, but I've been definitely feeling the call both personally and then also through the podcast to like bring back some of that sort of astrology and spirituality to the podcast. Um, and, uh, we haven't quite worked it out, but we're hoping the four of us to maybe create some sort of regular series, um, where I will invite these three gals on the show and and we can have some conversations just to kind of ground people in whatever's happening in the world, give people some insight about, why astrology is important to us and how we, you know, came to it and how we use it and how that might be different than some of what people assume astrology does or how it works. Um, so all of that is, you know, TBD, but, uh, hopefully this is a good jumping off point. So today I just wanted to introduce my audience, you guys, to everyone and uh, talk about what sort of led each of you into astrology um, and maybe a little bit about like how you use it now or how it's integrated into your life, both sort of personally and professionally. Um, And then where I will move into a little conversation about astrologically speaking, what the fuck is happening in the world right now? Um, I, uh, as I was saying before we started recording, I think, uh, we've all certainly sort of expected some serious, crazy restructuring to occur um, worldwide, but I guess specifically in the U.S. because of this sort of knowledge of astrology that we have. Um, And so as everything has happened, I've sort of just been nodding and like, okay, yep, I was expecting this, I was expecting this. But I think for a lot of people, there's a sense of sort of like, what the hell is going on in the world? Um, And whether or not you want to believe in astrology or if it's real or not, I think just looking at things in sort of like a symbolic, archetypal, metaphorical way, which is what astrology sort of does naturally, is helpful in staying sane. Um, so all of that to say, uh, I don't know who wants to go first, but just sort of, yeah, introduce yourself to my lovely audience. I guess I'll go first. Hi, my name is Jasmine Richardson, and... I have always been into astrology from the time that I was a little girl. And um, what brought me to studying astrology on a professional level was I adopted my niece six years ago. And I was estranged from her for about seven years. So I didn't really know who she was And I wanted a fast track to get to know her personally and also something that could assist me with parenting her. And when I first adopted her, I started seriously 
setting her natal chart. And it probably was the most profound tool that I could have had at that time to learn about being a parent, to learn about being a parent and also learn about how the archetypes show up for her in her life. And shortly after that, I started studying astrology in a more formal setting. And after that, I decided to pursue it on a career level. So here I am today, and that's how I have met all of these lovely ladies on the recording. Thanks, Jasmine. Yeah, so similar to Jasmine, I'd always been interested in astrology. I think it was part of my constellation of interests around the tarot, the occult, etc., that I've always kind of had an ear to. Um, but I, the inspiration for starting to study more formally was also inspired by a child, actually. <laughs> so one of my best friends um, had a baby. Well, his wife had the baby, <laughs> but a baby was born. And he was the first of my friends to, to reproduce. So I, I wanted to find a really special gift for this child. And I, I thought maybe I could hire someone to write um, a, an astrological report for the baby when she was born. And I began researching. I contacted Chani Nicholas, actually, like before Chani Nicholas was extremely famous. She was definitely famous, but not so famous as she is now. And her assistant recommended to me Demetra George. And then I ended up booking a reading with Demetra to just get a test or get a taste of what her style was like to see it would be appropriate before I booked this for the baby. In the end, I, because no one could, um, no one was willing to write a report. I didn't realize at this time that most astro consultations take place in real time as a conversation. And of course, a baby could not <laughs> um, participate in their share of the conversation. So I decided that actually I wanted to just learn this myself and I would learn her chart myself and I would part of the gift would be me learning this whole discipline in her name. <laughs> and I, um, I actually never gave her that. I never gave them that uh, report or that chart because as I learned more, I started to question the ethics behind um, prescribing an identity to, an, to a baby before that baby has a chance to manifest these archetypes on their own and also without the parent's consent because it was a surprise. It would be a gift. So this to say, I ended up falling down the rabbit hole of astrology quite happily. I started studying, I was living in the UK at the time doing a PhD and I started taking the train down to London once a month and study in person at the faculty of astrological studies. And then when I moved back to Canada after five years, I that's when I began looking toward the North American and especially American astro community and found myself at a retreat where Jasmine was. And that's how I, um, that's what led me to sign up for this apprenticeship where we all met. Yeah. It's so fun to hear the stories. So 
This is Kestrel. I am excited to be back, too, on your podcast. Maybe some of your audience knows me as a psychotherapist. I know we talked a lot about grief, but I would say the first inklings around astrology really came from my mother, and it's really interesting to see her continue to blossom in it, and we can have a regular dialogue about it. Um, but I was just always so in awe of the cosmos. Like as a small child, I was very etheric and in wonder of everything. And so my trajectory really started to point me more to the science. And I spent a lot of my time in high school thinking I was going to be an astronaut and the first woman on Mars. And I was very focused on the mathematics. I started flying glider planes when I was 15. And that was kind of the direction I was thinking I would head. But things really strongly started to pivot when I went to college and I started to take on more of a psychological tone. And so it was through my journey of becoming a psychotherapist that it was about, I think it was 2015, um, a young client of mine walked into the room and she started bringing astrology alive in our sessions. And I was just so blown away in her ability to utilize how I was guiding her and then in turn sharing the astrology. And it was bringing psychology back alive for me because things had kind of gotten stagnant and through the lens of the archetypes and the stories and the myths, I was, I felt like I was getting a new entry point to people's psyches. And she introduced me to um, the astrologer that ran our apprenticeship, and I just ended up going on this deep dive. And I think specifically what spoke to me was really studying Mars and this concept of the hero's journey, because on the sidelines, I was really starting to feel things percolating inside of me. I knew a big change was coming and I was trying to look for some framework to make sense of what I was going through and what I discovered is that I was being called to something new but I was also going through something um, that happens in your midlife. I'm 45 now but at the time I was just approaching my 40s and I was really feeling this energy percolating up inside of me that something was about to shift and I was looking at not only who I was but what I was becoming and so the framework of astrology just similar to Eliza I was happily just to follow the breadcrumbs stumble down that path and I was completely insatiable and so when the opportunity was presented to do this apprenticeship and then also meeting Jasmine through our teacher um it was a done deal. And here I am with you gals. I was the done deal. <laughs> you were the done deal. <laughs> yeah, we just had immediate chemistry and you made me feel so comfortable and so seen. And, and I think that's the extension of what's happening here today. Yeah. I, I'm just realizing that Jasmine and Kestrel, they have very parallel charts, but in a, in a similar way, Anya and I actually have... <laughs> some similarities with our Aries and Leo. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. 
um, I mean, in Kestrel, too, with the Leo, but in, like, a whole other way, I mm-hmm. feel like. Um, yeah, and, you know, I understand that probably a lot of people listening don't know a ton about astrology, and what I would really like to do is you know, spend less time being frustrated by sort of like mainstream versions of astrology that piss me off and just actually spend that energy to like talk about what versions of astrology are great. (laughs) Um, but I, I would love for whoever wants to sort of take this. Um, I think there's this, of course, misunderstanding that astrology is like a set of qualities that apply to a person. And I think this is where it gets really complicated when we have conversations about like proving whether or not astrology is real, um, uh, which, which uh, calls into question that thing that you were talking about, Eliza, like this is a baby, you know, is it possible to look at these planets, look at these houses, look at these signs and say, this is what this person is like. Um, And of course, after studying astrology and knowing a, a lot about astrology, you understand that's completely impossible Um, Because each of those planets and signs and houses has a myriad of different qualities. So it just depends how the person Mm -hmm. embodies them. Um, Yeah, I remember our teacher, one of the uh, great things that he said was like, uh, what is it? Charts... charts don't exist, they come alive or something. Like they basically are nothing until Mm -hmm. someone embodies it or something embodies it. Um, But I would love like, how do you... How do you talk about that question when people sort of say, well, how is it real if it can't be proven via science? How do you sort of grapple with that um, that question or that inquiry? Well, let me speak to your, your previous comment around the multivalence of, of astrology, how these archetypes can be realized and manifested in, in so many ways. For me, that doesn't delegitimize astrology at all. And I think actually part of what's convinced me of this is having encountered twins Mm -hmm. who ostensibly have the same chart. And yet I've watched, um, I only, that I only have an example of one pair of twins. I'd I'd be curious to look at the charts of more twins, but with this example, they were, um, Gemini sun, cancer rising, cancer moon. And they both lived such textbook um, versions of or um, manifestations of those signs and those placements, but in completely different mm-hmm. ways. But they were textbook Gemini, textbook Cancer, textbook Mars on the Ascendant in totally different ways. And it's almost like two plants growing up side by side from the same patch of soil. They had to... Um, by necessity diverge in certain paths so they could both meet Mm -hmm. the sun or or receive the sun. And I, I, for me as a consulting astrologer, that's why I don't dictate a chart to someone. I want to have a dialogue with them. And I explain this from the beginning. I I say, this will be, you know, a a conversation. I want to hear how Mm -hmm. the chart has manifested for them because there's no way I can know that we all come from such individual cultures and families and contexts and the same chart will will um come into its own very differently depending on these other variables and factors and for me that's that adds actually to how fertile astrology is as a discipline because it's not about defining boundaries or limits 
to one's identity. It's a way of understanding what's already there, mm-hmm. potentially. Um, but in terms of your question around people who are asking whether mm-hmm. astrology is real or not, it's a hard question, or it's a hard, that's a hard debate to have because people who, I, well, when I find myself in that debate, often with a significant other who doesn't believe in astrology, I, um, like there are some people who will commit so, um, they will commit so resolutely to the logic that they grew up um, using or the logic that they, that they have affirmed just as we, I mean, we all do this. We all have our own worldviews affirmed through, through like the echo chambers that we move through. But, um, I also, this maybe isn't a point in my favor, but I, I operate in a worldview that doesn't ascribe to purely, um, evidence that has been scientifically proven or agreed upon by public opinion or conventional Mm -hmm. opinion. I, I live in a world that allows for magic and for, um, pre reasonable, like pre reason, pre age of enlightenment, pre 19th Mm -hmm. century modes of being and modes of knowing. And, um, if someone actually is not coming does not uh, does not have an openness toward that point of view we can never actually talk sensibly about this because um someone who only subscribes to really contemporary modalities of knowing vis-a-vis science will not necessarily be able to argue or debate logically or, or um, intelligibly with someone who has a worldview that allows for magic to take place. Right. That said, I don't even think astrology is necessarily magical. It's it, it's a very reasonable and logical system as well. And for me personally, I use a natal chart to inform me on what questions to ask my clients because I feel like it's my responsibility to try to understand their subjective experience and then inform them based on what they say. And that could mean a number of things. And the natal chart is just that. It's very suggestive of what a person may be experiencing or going through. But until they communicate what their experience it is we don't know there's nothing definitive about how a person is living their life and perceiving their life based on their natal chart yeah yeah and I'm very experiential too and you know frankly I don't spend a lot of time trying to prove it's correct it just it's similar to what Jasmine's saying it's Mm -hmm. like how where can we enter and I think that's my fascination too with you know the zodiac in general and looking at houses I mean each house represents a different part of the life and that also comes up in coaching modalities too it's like we're looking at the self we're looking at your skills and what you value and your communication your day-to-day your family of origin romance love etc 
And so as a psychotherapist, if particular themes are coming up in that area of the life, it's a great springboard into, okay, what is, how's that even manifesting for you? What are the energies and forces? And I can sometimes see that archetypally expressing itself through the chart, but it's, it becomes more of an intuition and a dialogue like we've all emphasized. And for me, I'm just more interested in what it brings alive in the client. And then what's the opportunity? What do we do with this information of better understanding ourselves? Um, and in all those cycles too, that are unfolding in our lives, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. And I think it, to see astrology, in this way, um, so multifaceted and with so many meanings, it's like, that's what invokes, I think the responsibility and the discernment on behalf of both the astrologer and whomever is, let's say receiving a reading. Because, Mm -hmm. um, when I had our friend Jenny on the show, like we talked and you guys talked to her about this too, that this sort of everything's a translation, everything's being delivered through a filter. Um, so to recognize that, you know, Mm-hmm. Mars can manifest as both like an asshole or, you know, a courageous individual <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, not yeah, as the astrologer yeah. project an assumption onto a person about which they're embodying. Of course, there's other archetypes associated with Mars as well. Um, but, uh, you know, the allow the astrologer to sort of just gain insight into who this person is. And then also the person receiving the information has the ability to uh, ask themselves like what's landing and what's not, you know, what, you know, I had, before I learned astrology and I had astrology readings, there was some things that people were saying to me that I was like, I don't, I sort of get a version of what you're saying that kind of makes sense to me, but like questioning myself and really asking myself like, okay, what about that resonated and what about it? I don't need, I can sort of like cast away. Right. And am I, am I doing that and coming from a responsible place and not a, you know, um, a denying place of like, oh, I, I don't want to see those parts of me, but just really asking the question honestly of, of uh, myself that we want things in boxes and uh, we want things defined in such a specific way. And astrology, I mean, one of the many things I love about it is that it just like refuses to do that. Um, yeah, and I think it's also you know, to, to look at it, like if the point is for a person to discover more parts of themselves or just like remember more parts of themselves, like it's just sort of provokes this. Um, I mean, I, to this, I, which I'm sure you all have these experiences too. Like I look at my chart in a different way all the time and just sort of more layers and more layers and more layers. Um, and I think I always used to say to people when I would give them readings, like I sh- if this reading goes well, I shouldn't be telling you anything you don't already know on some level. Like I'm just confirming it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, which mm-hmm. I'd love to hear, you know, speak a bit to, I guess this was my experience very much in coming to astrology was like hitting my Saturn return among having Uranus on my ascendant and just basically like my entire life being blown up in front of me. And, um, I felt like astrology was like the one thing that gave me a sense of meaning in that time. Um, and that was really grounding to me. 
and I'm curious if, you know, I know Kestrel, you spoke a little bit about what you do with your clients, but for you, like what, what's the goal in working with people with their chart? Um, what would you sort of define as a success in, in working with a person's chart? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for definitely strongly along the lines of being seen and validated, because I agree, oftentimes I'm not giving people information they don't already know, but maybe it's more of a remembering or, you know, pointing out a blind spot. I think oftentimes when it provides insight um, and you know, maybe an opportunity, like in particular, I've been using the chart as an entry point into trauma, but with a bit of softness because we're able to dialogue about things in a way that aren't so direct. And as a result of giving a person an opportunity just to flow with what an experience of trauma may be, it it can be very healing and give them direction around um, their wholeness, I guess, in essence. So, wow, I'm really trying to think what would be successful around it. I, I really, I have to go back to the validation and just really feeling seen and then understanding themselves better and that they handled whatever situation to the best of their ability and then that direction to, you know, how can they grow from there or what sort of helpful things can they do in their life to, you know, gosh, I don't know. I'm fumbling over my words now. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like you're always clearer than you think you are. (laughs) I think, too, it's... um it's such a gift to arm someone with story and mm-hmm. with myth and with um, with divine beings. I think if we can give someone a, a hint more of, well, frankly, of magic, I really, like, that's what drew me into astrology was that interaction with something mythic and something um, godly. Not and not even from a religious sense, but just something vast and mighty, and <laughs> also quite enchanting. And uh, I, for me, a successful astrology reading where I really feel that it's when I've shared a story or shared an archetype that lands with the client, and that makes sense of an experience of theirs, or perhaps a. Um, a a pattern or a tendency or a part of a part of their childhood or a part of their character and I love this isn't this doesn't always happen but I love when these quite magical synchronicities come through um for instance I gave a reading last night and the client had the asteroid Pallas Athena on her ascendant and Vesta on her moon and so I narrowed in I only talk about the asteroids with clients when they're prominently placed on an angle or on a luminary, which is a moon or a, the moon or the sun. And so I started talking about these archetypes, and <laughs> she told me that she'd written her entire... So both 
for the audience, both Vesta and Athena are known as the virgin goddesses. And they're defined not by their relationship to other, but very much for their own pursuits in varying, in varying ways. Anyway, she told me that she'd written her entire thesis, her entire PhD thesis on the virgin as a liminal space and actually talked about Athena as one of these virgin archetypes. And it was so, it was so textbook. Another time I'd spoken to a client about Juno, the archetype of Juno, and Juno is associated with peacocks and peacocks are very much in the myth. And I told her this and she shared with me that she grew up, her family had raised peacocks when she, um, in her childhood home and she grew up literally surrounded by peacocks and just these little glimmers of magic or of synchronicity uh to me they just they feel so expansive and rich and affirming and even if it's a small um it's a small little coincidence it it can bring a hint of magic to to our lives i feel yeah it, it reminds me um for those listening who heard Callie Russell on my podcast. I think I probably messaged all of you about this, but mm-hmm. she's this amazingly strong, bold woman who lives on the land basically by herself and was just on this TV series alone and living off the land by herself for like three months. Um, but anyway, we're in, uh, Chris and I are doing this podcast with her and we ask her like, okay, so where can people find you? And this whole time, of course, I'm thinking of Capricorn, Um, She lives with goats on the land, and uh, one of the (laughs) sort of animals associated with Capricorn is like the sea goat. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, uh, so the whole time I'm thinking about it, and then at the end of the conversation, we're like, okay, so where can people find you? And she's like, oh, my my handle on social media is Capricorn, and it means goat queen. (laughs) And and then later (laughs) later in the evening, she (laughs) mentioned like what... what, uh, what month she was born uh and she was in fact a capricorn so yeah it was just like it's so it's both subtle i guess and not so subtle but it just it brings so much joy to me too to sort of see those Mm. those stories literally come to life um with really no effort at all anyway sorry jasmine (laughs) i was just gonna say that astrology can be such a strong tool for self-forgiveness. And when I have clients or friends that come to me in a state of chaos or trauma or grief, and I can bring some understanding to how the transits are playing out to their natal chart and why things are the way they are in that moment of time for them. And they can walk away feeling some sense of relief. That's how I know I've had a successful reading. Yeah. The one forgiving, well, not the one, one (laughs) of the forgiving (laughs) components of astrology is that the skies move on, the planets move on. They're not still, they're not stationary. Mm-hmm. And transits pass. Yeah. 2020 <laughs> will pass. 2020 is going to pass. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's a good segue. Not stagnant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so one of the main... I actually, I feel like one of the most meaningful takeaways for me in learning astrology was... Yes, my own personal chart, my personal experience, but understanding the world um, and history astrologically, Mm -hmm. I felt like 
was sort of the most the most grounding. Um, so I would love, so briefly, for those who don't understand, um, everything can have a chart. So a person has a chart from a, the moment they were born, but events have charts and countries have charts. So the U.S., for example, has a chart from its founding in 1776. Um, and uh, I would love, and of course you can gain insight not just on yourself through your chart, but on... Um, periods of history and events that are going on in the world or, you know, any little, you can, you can make a chart for anything. You know, if you buy a tract of land, if you buy a house, if you renovate a house, if you write a book, right, anything can have a chart. Every moment in time has a chart. Um, so I would love to give my audience some context for what's happening in the world, but more specifically in America, um, astrologically speaking. And, uh, you know, Maybe first, if one of you could just talk about what a planetary cycle is, understand how this works, um, and then we can sort of move into the specifics of of what's going on. Um, but basically, I want to help everyone sort of better understand archetypally what's happening in regard to the presidential election, um, the virus, and the what I feel like we're all moving toward or a lot of us are moving toward is like what's meaningful, what's actually meaningful in our lives, what's valuable, like how do we sustain the way that we're living, um, going back to the land, you know, being in community, sort of describing all of those things in, a, in an astrological sense. Um, so, yeah, that was like a multifaceted question. But if, if someone wants to kind of briefly describe um, how we look at this in regard to planetary cycles. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah, I can start. Um, so, as we know, <laughs> boys and girls, <laughs> planets um, orbit around the sun. <laughs> so that means that they're... So because the sun revolves around Earth, um, from our point of view on Earth, did I just say yes. the sun revolves around Earth? Did I just say that? I did not mean to say that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really outing myself. It's like a it looks like the sun is revolving around. Hack. <laughs> Boys We're and girls, professionals. <laughs> the, the Earth revolves around the sun, but from our point of view on Earth. Um, let me be real clear. I know that the Earth revolves around the Sun, just like all the other planets. I misspoke. Um, but the from our point of view on Earth, we can see the planets in their orbit around the Sun in relationship to where we are. What this means, in more concrete terms, if in the in the chart of a of a moment, in the, the inception chart of a person or of a country or of an event. If you look at any given planet, that planet will eventually, by transit, return to that uh, original location. So um, some of your listeners, Anya, may have heard of a Saturn return before or a solar return. A Saturn return is when transiting Saturn, that is the Saturn in the sky right now, Saturn as it keeps ticking away, uh, moving through the zodiac, returns to the same degree as it's um, as as the needle Saturn or as the Saturn in the chart of that event, this is what we call a Saturn return. Um, 
first for the planet Saturn, that's 27 to 30 years it takes to go around the zodiac. And just to again give a bit more context, the zodiac is essentially a it, spatially it's metaphorical in that the constellations of the zodiac do not all occupy 30 degrees evenly of space. Um, but it's based on the ecliptic. So the constellations we use in the zodiac happen to be the constellations that follow the ecliptic. The ecliptic is the apparent path <laughs> of the sun as we see its progression in the sky, rising in the east, culminating in at the top of the sky and setting in the west and going under under the earth. Um, and again, that's simply from a geocentric point of view. From our point of view on earth, we can trace the sun's path. The that path is the ecliptic, and that's where this band of constellations is. And the zodiac is um, based on that band of constellations. So planets also, the planets that revolve around the sun also follow this path. Um, so Saturn has a fairly reliable orbit around the sun, that being 20 to 30 years. Um, the outer planets, including Pluto, which we'll talk about, shortly have a i believe pluto's orbit is less consistent and it's certainly much longer pluto of course is really far out from the sun and so um pluto's orbit will be hundreds of years it'll take hundreds of years to go around the earth around the sun oh my god (laughs) to go around the sun anyway um what like what we can deduct or deduce from this astrologically is that with any planetary return, there will be this sense of one cycle ending and another beginning. So we'll have that sense of degeneration, that like, um, that disintegration that endings bring as well as a regeneration, hopefully potentially of a new system of a new structure of a new, um, of new themes for for the coming Mm -hmm. cycle. Um, so that's speaking to cycles, of planets in relation to their original placement, we can also speak to cycles between planets. So when two planets come together and then they go along their ways in their orbit and then they come together again some years later, and we can talk about that later on. That'll make more sense as we talk about 2020. But that that might have been more confusing than elucidating if someone else wants to say, <laughs> to say that in other words, by all means. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I think that was pretty clear. I think the way that I look at it, too, is like every time that happens, every time there's either a planet returns in a cycle or two planets meet up in a cycle, it's like obviously you're going to take whatever themes we're talking about with those planets. So what do those planets symbolize? What archetypes and stories are associated with them? Whether we're talking, you know, what, what planets are they? What houses are they in? Um, what signs are they in? Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, I sort of like to see it as like a ripple. So you return to the same place and it's a similar theme, but it's like a larger, more evolved, <laughs> hopefully, um, aspect of that, you know. So, so for example, <clears throat> we'll talk about America's Pluto return and the last when America was founded Mm -hmm. Pluto is returning to that place for the first time in 250 years Um, and obviously what's not what what we're not going to see is a as an identical event right we're not going to see America the American Revolution like (laughs) identically part two Um, but it but it will 
uh, bring up similar themes, right? So like, what did the American Revolution, for example, symbolize in some sort of archetypal way? Um, So that's sort of like we look at what what um what sign are we talking about what planet we're talking about what house we're talking about and come up with some ideas around what the themes are going to be for that return (laughs) and just to just to further clarify what you're saying Anya the reason why it won't it's not identical is because the only thing that's constant, the only thing that's the same is where Pluto's location right. is. The rest of the sky is right. different. The other planets are in totally different locations. So it's a way of honing in on that one common archetype or that one common theme, knowing that everything else has shifted. So it, in some ways, it's a way of tracking how far we've come or or not. Castell, were you going to well, ask? Well, I was just going to say, yeah, it's just like it's an opportunity to reevaluate and, you know, scrape things clean again. And are we progressing? Are we moving to the next level or are we not? And I just love, I forget which one of you said it, but just these cycles are so powerful in understanding where we've been and where we're going. And I think that's another piece that people are really experiencing right now is so much uncertainty and wanting to be able to ground it in something but we are really experiencing this major cycle of change and potentially renewal and um in that there's a lot of disruption and doomsdayness as well mm-hmm. just like what's the point you know everything's coming to an end but if you really take a moment to look back at you know 1776 or some of the other cycles you were potentially referring to Eliza with Saturn Pluto or Saturn Jupiter which we'll be looking at here in late 2020 into 2021 is you know, we've been through cycles of crisis and constriction before. That's something that a famous astrologer refers to, Rick Tarnas. But, you know, there's similar themes looking back to 1914 and 1948 and the early 80s and now presently where, you know, people before us have gone through tremendous um despair with with wars and pandemics and not knowing what the future holds and on the other side of that reveals that that great opportunity to reimagine how we can be in the world and I mean I wish in some ways we didn't have to go through those but I feel with Pluto it's like we have to go to these deep dark kind of hard to look at things about ourselves and society and hate and you know human nature but there it's also paired with the polarity of you know the best in all of us and that we're equipped to live through these times and I guess I just got on my little pedestal but it's just it's hard for humans to live with the uncertainty but just trusting this process that this too shall pass. Um, yeah. So who wants to take it away next? <laughs> well, we, we should probably talk about Pluto's yeah. archetype. Yeah. Um, I do want to say just, just to mention it because I always like to talk about this when I talk about astrology in general is just to say that like, I think the way that all of us 
operate in looking at astrology is not that the planets are causing something so much as they're just mirroring something back to us. So when we talk mm-hmm. about these cycles and what's happening, we're not saying mm-hmm. because the planets are situated as they are in the sky, therefore we're having these sort of like cycles of deconstruction or rebirth, but rather those things are happening in real time because of real world events that are occurring. We can obviously see how, you know, history progresses on, on earth. Um, and then we look to the planets to give us sort of more insight on what that means or, um, uh, yeah, what it, what it meant in the previous cycle. And it's just, you know, it's like going back to how it helps us personally. It's not necessarily telling us anything we don't know. It's just a mirror shining us back to us in a way. Um, so I just wanted to mention that, uh, for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, I would love, let's talk about, um, Pluto, whoever wants to jump off with that. Well, A lot of what we've talked about so far in this recording is related to Pluto. We've had the Saturn-Pluto conjunction that occurred at the end of last year. And the Saturn-Pluto conjunction has lasting effects of approximately three years. And then, like you said, Anya the U.S. is having its Pluto return. So when I think about Pluto as an archetype, the idea of power always comes up for me and how that power is placed, how it can potentially shift and... I think that is a lot of what the U.S. is experiencing in this given moment. And with the Saturn and Pluto conjunction, Eliza and I, and also Kestrel, we've done a lot of research and reading uh, Rick Tarnas's Cosmos and, and Psyche book. And those of us that were alive in the early 80s or remember our parents and what they were going through during that time, it very much resembles what we're going through in this given moment in time with the pandemic that's happening. The early 80s also uh, presented the AIDS crisis and Health crises follow the Saturn-Pluto conjunction going all the way back in time. And um, those of us that have grandparents that were alive in 1914, also, um, they, they experienced the Spanish flu at that time. So... When, you're, when, you're, when you have something like the Saturn Pluto conjunction, the ideas of, of shifting of power and um, turmoil and pandemics and epidemics and, um, you know, there, there tends to be this idea of, of global crisis, but when these conjunctions 
start to separate and pass, which we, we will see in the next two to three years, things settle and they shift. And everything that we see as what has been quote unquote normal up until this point will not look like what it has in the last three, four, or actually if you're, if you're talking about the, the cycle itself, which lasts about um, uh, 30, 32 years or so, um, it, it, it just looks totally different. And so that's what we're experiencing right now is that, that shift and what's causing us to feel anxiety, I think, around what has transpired over the last year is we are in the middle of that shift and there's no certainty. And that's a lot of what this conjunction Saturn and Pluto is, is, is just this, this feeling of uncertainty and we have to get through what that feels like, but things will change. And just to clarify for the audience who maybe if talking planets is a little, um, abstract or hard to visualize there, there, we're talking about two cycles here. We're talking about the United States Pluto return, which is Pluto in the sky returning to the same place as when the, the United States formed as a country. But we're also talking about when Saturn is a planet and Pluto is a planet come together in the sky and their, their cycle together. And as Jasmine mentioned, the last time they came together, so they came together in January of this year. And then before that, the last time was 1982 before that, the last time was 1947. Before that, it was 1914. And each of these conjunctions mm-hmm. aligned with, as well, the themes that we're discussing here of um, crisis and then the, the contraction that follows the crisis, that, that period of austerity or of um, trying to find one's ground again through often... Um, defining boundaries and defining limits and sometimes, you know, trying to recover economically from, from what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's also important to note. No, I was just going to say like, let's, we should unpack, I think like Pluto and Saturn, because these, these archetypes are, are cropping Mm -hmm. up in a multitude of ways. Right. So as we just spoke about, we have yeah. a, a Pluto-Saturn conjunction, but also the Pluto return of the United States is taking place in Capricorn, mm-hmm. which is a Saturn-ruled sign. So I would love if we could just mm-hmm. say, like, what are some key themes, either myth-wise or archetype-wise, about Pluto and then Saturn? And, like, what does that mean symbolically when those two things interact with each other? Mm-hmm. So Jasmine named power for Pluto, and that's a huge one. Wealth, too. Wealth structures how wealth is um, distributed. You find that in the word plutocracy or plutarchy. Is that a word? (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless, plutocracy. (laughs) Um, Pluto's Greek counterpart is Hades. And we know Hades as being the underworld or the prince of the underworld. So there is often this connotation of underworld journeys, those dark nights of the soul, death, period, Mm -hmm. death, Um, decay, um, with Saturn, I think of restriction, isolation, depression, sickness, poverty, <laughs> also, also discipline, also hard work, also, um, you know, responsibility, 
government systems. So when these two come together, part of what we're seeing is system collapse and also ideally regeneration and into something that's more constructive. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, I'm looking at Saturn. Oh, go ahead. You go. Well, I was just going to say, too, with the Saturn component of Kronos, like father time, like this isn't happening quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Saturn's Mm -hmm. slow. Well, they're both such Mm -hmm. slow-moving planets. They're both slow. They're both slower moving planets, so that's why everything feels really slow and like it's taking yeah. forever. And I think it's interesting, too, to ground it like in the sky because Saturn is the furthest planet we can see with the visible eye. So it's like of this world, this reality, and then Pluto's further out where it isn't visible, right? So it's 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 both dealing with like things that feel tangible on one hand, but also aren't visible. And that can, I think, add to the uncertainty. And, you know, as we're describing this, we're, I, I feel personally, we're still in the, even though this will shift, we're still in the midst of it and it's hard to make sense of it. Um, you know, once we get through the quote storm, I think it'll be easier to kind of, delineate or have an idea of what could happen next but i i think we're in the middle of the crisis still yeah and Mm -hmm. i think you know saturn you know is seen as a malefic and and just like not a very nice planet but i think one way to sort of understand what it does is it just like brings form and shape to things um, and I think that's why the Saturn return is so much about like dealing with the real world. Like, oh, you thought you could get away with this for like throughout your twenties, but like now you're an adult and you have to deal with your shit. It's a very like real world to the point, um, sort of straightforward embodiment of like responsibility yeah, and time and, um, age and duty. Right. So when Saturn who like brings form, real life form to things, is interacting with Pluto, which is just like sort of the deepest, darkest, most transformative type of an experience. It's like, I just sort of visualize like Saturn just sort of like pulling that out for us, you know, and and sort of dropping it right in front of us. You know, I think because Pluto moves so slowly, so we have Pluto transits, but often in the moment, like personally, you don't necessarily know in real time what's happening. It's sort of like you look back and you're like, oh shit, that was like a huge transformation that took course over a long period of time. Um, So I think we're, we're basically just like getting fed like a, freaking Pluto mm-hmm. shit sandwich right now. Um, and of course, like we need that, we need that destruction in order to birth anything new. But at the moment we're just totally sitting in the shit. I think we should bring Mars <laughs> into this too, because and, yeah. especially thinking about, um, you know, for, for listeners who might live in Colorado or in California or, or anywhere on the West coast, the well, I think the fires in Colorado preceded this, but the fires on the West Coast they coincided almost exactly with Mars's stationing. So Mars stationed retrograde on September 9th, and that the reason why that's particularly problematic this time around is that Mars is in the late degrees of Aries, which means he's forming what's called a square aspect to to Saturn and Pluto in Capricorn in the late degrees of Capricorn. And that's a notoriously difficult aspect. So it's, 
I feel like some people have had a brief reprieve over the summer from the 2020 astrology, but as soon as Mars retrograde started squaring all of that, these demons started <laughs> falling back out of the closet. And I think that's where some of the exhaustion's coming in. A lot of people I know are tired. We've been carrying a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah, Mars also speaks to the sort of, mm-hmm. I think, anger and frustration and just sort of like mm-hmm. sort of a call to arms in a way. Um, and that that's compounding, you know, which I, it's, I think those two things are naturally tied together. I feel like destruction <laughs> and rage, the mm-hmm. rage associated with witnessing a destruction, whether collectively or personally, like those things are very tied together. Um, it's like we sort of need to like work out the rage within our within our bodies in order to allow for that kind of a transformation. Well, I think it's interesting beholding Mars and Saturn as traditionally the two malefic planets, so the two planets that tend to bring trials and difficulty. But noting that Mars, Mars is what Mars brings is not often easily sustaining. Mars brings that flash in the pan, anger, that rage, that fight. But you can't operate on that level of adrenaline in an enduring capacity. Saturn no. is the slow, like the slog, the trek, the 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 slog through the swamp, the bogland, the shit, <laughs> and. Um, Right. It's interesting that both. I feel like I feel right now, just in the in the environment around us, that both are activated. If I feel like we're in this for the long haul, and also there are these um, flash fires of, of violence, of rage, of conflicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it can sometimes be described as that mm-hmm. gas and break and marathon versus a sprint and it's just interesting because there's like not only the societal rage but there's also you know the wildfires people have experienced and I guess that also brings to mind out of this wildfire like metaphorically we're experiencing it's also that plutonian opportunity of rebirth or like the phoenix rising and you know being born Mm -hmm. anew so that's just something else coming to mind mm-hmm. you know like one can't exist without the other mm-hmm. and it's it's hard because I just think personally I'm like how could we <laughs> through history learn from these experiences and not have to go through the destruction part but I, I, I'm just sort of accepting it's part of it yeah like scraping it clean mm-hmm. burning it down <laughs> yeah um yeah can we talk a bit more too about capricorn so at least in relation well i mean to the saturn pluto conjunction but also the united states chart um i'm trying to think like you know there could obviously be <clears throat> destructions and rebirths with lots of different types of things but the fact that what we're experiencing is so sort of systemic um, to just sort of broaden the conversation around uh, Capricorn a little bit, um, and why are we specifically seeing the type of 
destruction or I don't even know that's the thing I don't think we're even at the destruction part yet we're at like <laughs> we're oh, still like riding up the roller coaster <laughs> we have not like di- <laughs> no yeah because the yeah the the Pluto return is is gonna happen through yeah 2024 2025 yeah so uh, we're just you know getting started getting ramped up here but, and you know, thanks. Capricorn has a very strong association with government. So, and banks, and, you know, I, we've, we've been highlighting a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the negative that's associated with these planetary archetypes, I think, in this conversation, but I think that there is a lot of positive into what's happening right now too, is that we cannot have what's transpiring right now without change being implemented. And so Mm -hmm. most, most people that I least associate with want change. And, you know, we've been living these lifestyles that are not sustainable for so long. Um, And, you know, I know Kestrel can talk a lot about the environment, but I think that's a lot of what's happening too, is that, um, you know, these conjunctions are are the conjunction of Saturn and Pluto specifically, and um, even the Pluto return, the change is happening and um, it's happening on, um, uh, a, a collective level and and on a, a personal level for for everybody. But um, I'm I'm interested in talking a little bit about the environment right now and its association with the Saturn Pluto conjunction and what you guys think about that um, for what you were talking about with the fires and why they're happening right now too. Yeah, I think it also, at least to me, uh, invokes. Uranus Mm -hmm. in Taurus for the next seven ish years. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, which is, it's actually, I mean, that could be seen as a very tumultuous transit. Uranus sort of blows shit up and Taurus is like the earth. Um, but I feel like, you know, obviously Uranus as a, a sort of, uh, similar ish energy to Pluto where things need to be sort of destroyed before they can be reborn. Um, so I see that transit that we're going to experience. I don't remember how many years it is now. Six. I don't know how long we've been in it. But um, that to me is actually, uh, I see so clearly within those archetypes, like both how things are going, things are blowing up and getting destroyed because they are no longer sustainable environmentally. Um, and yet that Uranus transit is going to, recreate I think and reinvent the ways that we interact with the earth in modern times um which is sort of where the it's one of the few places I can find sort of like comfort and hope right now is like how do I for myself redefine um my relationship to the earth and how might that get me through the rest of this stuff that's going on um right right well, it's interesting that both Capricorn and Taurus, like they're both Earth signs, so they both on some level have that archetypal link to our planet. Um, 
with with Capricorn too, it comes back to that idea of responsibility and also of reality. It's that reality mm-hmm. check that you know you can kid our, we can kid ourselves that our daily decisions won't have huge impact until our house lights on fire mm-hmm. or until we can't breathe or until we have, we to, have evacuate to evacuate due to a flood or due to right. the fire as a kid's um it's it's well we saw this with the pandemic the pandemic was you know in in the north american consciousness we were we didn't give a shit about it until march mm-hmm. if not april but it was um you know ransacking um asia and europe since january well Asia since January, China specifically, Wuhan, but then also going through Europe in, in you know, February and March. And it, it was really interesting to behold. And I remember being a, a little conscious of it, uh, worried about it, I think sooner than other people I know, because I, the person I was dating was in Asia at the time. And I remember like, in January, and I remember thinking, hmm, this doesn't seem good or I don't know I feel like this is gonna spread quickly but no one was really talking about it and I was still traveling but I remember in February being like huh people not in Canada are wearing masks (laughs) I wonder what that might signify for the coming months and um, lo and behold as soon as it reaches our airports as soon as it reaches our schools as soon as it reaches our cities all of a sudden we have no choice but to give a shit or lose hundreds of thousands of people, which has already happened. So it's, I feel like there, there's a parallel here with, the, with climate and with the environmental choices because it's so easy to just forget yeah. or to um, look the other way until our lives are destroyed or until, our, until it's really in our front yard mm-hmm. or in our house. And that's, that goes back to that idea of responsibility. Like who, to whom do we have responsibility? And it's, I think that this idea of duty toward the people we share this land with is really abstract for most of us. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we, if we aspire to act differently, like I, until this year, don't, didn't even know the names of my neighbors. And I, I live in a building with 36 apartments. I now know two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think that kind of, again, that's a bit of a metaphor for how we actually share space with each other in, in cities and in countries and regions and how that has knock-on effects to the way we treat the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it's, and it plays on that responsibility, and I can't help thinking of this Uranian energy, too. It's like that it was so unexpected in a way, and with all this change that's coming it it makes me hopeful in the sense that maybe there'll be more freedom or opportunities or something liberating about this process I think it's really hard to feel that way when we're in the middle and also thinking about this energy because I've experienced it so profoundly on a personal level it's one of those energies that if you're not willing to change, you know, you may be feeling the need to make that change, but mm-hmm. you're paralyzed or don't know where to start. It's coming for you either way. <laughs> like you, you, you can't get out of its path, Absolutely. you know, and it, 
it can be very awakening energy, but I think we're, that's piece of it. We're getting this huge wake up call and we can't look the other direction and, you know, individuations coming to mind, but it, I don't know if that really overlays because it's really not about the individual anymore. It's just this global collective reality. There's that Saturn word again. We, we're in this together, you know, and I think about it because, I mean, I have been impacted, but not to the extent that other um, groups have been impacted, but it still motivates me to figure out how I can participate. Um, and I wonder if there'll be some happiness on the other side of it. I think we've gone too far, like in indulging in the way that we live our lives. That's not sustainable. But at the same time, I ask, are we really happy um, with where we've been? So it's, it's a real period of reevaluation as well. I feel like one of the struggles is that most of us have no training living in community mm-hmm. with other people. In, in America, in Canada, and in England, I'm just yeah. going to name those three countries because those are the three <laughs> I have more intimate experience with. We are trained from a very young age to look after ourselves and maybe to our immediate kin, if we're lucky. But we have no responsibility to anybody else except to not, you know, like murder somebody. <laughs> but we have, it's not, it's not a value that we learn to actually help other people. Not really, not in any real way. That's not how we're trained. That's not what university is for. That's not how the health care system operates. You get in, in the United States anyway, you only have insurance if you have a good job or, or if you get, um, you know, one of the public healthcare systems, which I know are pretty lacking. It's, and Canada has its own versions of that. Like it, it's, it feels so like to, to live in a society or in a culture that's so individualistic, like how you have to you have to completely destroy and rebuild your own um, worldview and you have to unlearn a lot that that does take time yeah and i think just going back to the chart a little bit too you know i think when you look at any astrological chart the point is to sort of think about it like how do you land somewhere in the middle how do you take all of these sort of severe um, sort of one note archetypes and bring them together into mm-hmm. a more sort of like nuanced personality or experience. Um, so we have so, so much energy right now focused astrologically in Capricorn. Like there's so much going on, um, a lot of Saturnian energy. And then speaking to the community and the nourishment and the safety and all of that, we look to the, the opposition of the chart, which is cancer, um, mm-hmm. which yeah, that has been, I mean, we just had a, the North Node in Cancer um, for a while as well. And uh, mm-hmm. Cancer features pretty prominently in my chart. But yeah, that's along with getting back to the Earth, um, really prioritizing safety. And <laughs> I don't see how to mm-hmm. cultivate safety if not in community and with each other and um yeah, just thinking. And that's what's so challenging, I think, about the virus, too, is because the medicine I feel like we need the most is sort of mm-hmm. this Cancerian energy. And yet we're wearing masks and we can't hug and we can't be in each other's homes. You know, it's like it's kind of a bit maddening. Mm-hmm. It's so 
yeah, the, there are so many layers of, um, I don't know if paradox is the right word, but it's like what we most need is community. And that's what on a very basic logistical level is denied of us. At least speaking from the city I'm in right now, we are not allowed to meet in public spaces. Schools have closed again. At least universities have closed again. I, as a person who live on my own, am allowed to receive single visitors at a time if they also live on their own <laughs> for my own mental health. But I can't receive any mm. anyone more. Mm. Um, certain groups I participate in, we're having to to rent public spaces so that we can legally meet, and I don't even know if that's mm. allowed. It's like... You're not, we're not even allowed to meet in parks. We get, we'll get fined a thousand dollars. It's, it's just how do you, it's, it's a, it's a, such a quandary, like how in this moment where we most need to help to define our community or, or, um, find security or shelter or support in our community. It's so, for many of us, it's not even allowed mm-hmm. or it's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, and in the U.S., it seems like there's a level of denial still going on, especially in the university towns. Yeah. Gathering still continuing. Yeah, but it's also with the Cancerian piece, too, how do we continue to resource ourselves during this time in nature and with that isolation? It's it's perplexing, and I feel like a big part of your podcast, Anya, is really this ongoing you know, dialogue around community and what that means and who's your tribe and. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I feel grateful for having had such a like horrific Saturn return experience in a way, because, um, I so many times during those couple years wanted the process to go faster and wanted like, okay, I broke free now. Why can't I just have everything I want Mm -hmm. right now? Um, Thanks probably to my uh, Aries Mm -hmm. ascended as well. But, um, you know, but Saturn is, is it's slow and it's on its own time and um, you can't make it go any faster. And so in this period of time, you know, for me, if we can't necessarily, let's say, have the community that we want in real time, in our real lives, at the very least, we know that that's what we need and that that's where we're going and that that's what we want and that's what's important. So we're not going to go back to what we were doing before. We realized that it was unsustainable and it was unhealthy and it was just unnatural, I think, for the human species. It's such a patriarchal you know, mm-hmm. myth that, that we tell ourselves that we're supposed yes. to like cook for ourselves and raise kids and have a mm-hmm. job and work out. Like the reason we can't do those things mm-hmm. and we perpetually fail at them is because it's impossible. Um, so yeah, to just in this time, even if we can't do it, there's be patient that whatever is like churning and reworking and transforming beneath our feet right now Um, that that's going to give way to these changes that we, you know, know we need and that we know are important. Um, Yeah, and it's uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I know, Kestrel, that you have to probably run soon, so Mm -hmm. I I want to be sure to wrap up and not cut anyone off. Um, so, yeah, we definitely need to talk more because there's so much more to say about the world, but just astrology in general. Um, 
before, I guess a couple of things. I want to have you guys all tell everyone where people can find you. And then um, I always ask everyone to recommend a book. So you can all three recommend a book. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I prepare for that. Yeah. I know this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Kicking myself. But also maybe just briefly, personally, like, I know we talked about this thematically, but, like, what are each of you doing individually in this time to sort of stay sane or to keep some sort of light and optimism alive um, in your Who own personal Who says we're staying sane? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Touche. <laughs> I don't feel sane. Um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> little joke there. So, um, you can find Eliza and I at CosmicTonic.com, and we have an Instagram account, and also our Twitter handle is Cosmic underscore Tonic, and the one book that I recommend that's really actually brought a lot of understanding to my own natal chart and how I experience my natal chart um, astrologically is a book called Astrology for the Soul by Jan Spiller. And it's specifically about the nodes of the moon. And you can easily look up your natal chart on uh, astro.com if you're not familiar with how to find your natal chart. And typically in any astrology program, you'll see the nodes of the moon in your natal chart. And so just with a little research, you can figure out what the nodes are for your own natal chart. And this book goes in extremely deep to what the nodes represent and what they mean. And I haven't found a book that this extensive in in all the books that I've read on astrology. And um, the nodes of the moon actually play into what your life story is. So I highly recommend that book. And what I'm doing to stay sane, well... (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm currently remodeling my home and my business. Uh, my significant other and I, we own a bar in Houston, Texas called The Flat. And so it's undergoing renovations. And this was not a planned thing to, <laughs> to have two remodels going on at the same time. But here I am. This is my Mars retrograde experience. Um, but I, I've been so busy that I haven't had a whole lot of time to think about anything else along with being a parent. So um, that's what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm definitely focusing a lot more on family. And I think that plays into the, the Cancerian piece that we were talking about earlier. Is, um, it is a good time to, to focus on those that you love and that you are close to, whether it's friends or family. Um, a lot of those relationships I have found were estranged on some level before this pandemic happened. So that's what I've been doing. Well, I 
I have book amnesia where I read a book and I really enjoy it and I instantly forget what books I've read in the last like several weeks or months. So I'm going to recommend the book that we kept naming in the show, which is Rick Tarnas's Cosmos and Psyche. Mm. It certainly, for what we're talking about here, it gives you a really rich overview of what the fuck is going on and also what has been going on over the 20th century and allowing you to appreciate those patterns and how they intersect with the planets i've known a few people for whom this book was the gateway drug to astrology Mm -hmm. they were either skeptics or not even thinking about astrology and then they read this book and all of a sudden they were like oh (laughs) what's this so that will be the one I name. And as far as sanity, <laughs> yeah, I, right now I'm, I'm, I'm working a lot and I don't know if that's, if that's my path to sanity or insanity. Um, but I'm right now, I don't feel, t- I, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's every waking minute, but I, I don't feel, um, I don't feel like under the train, I feel like I'm on the train on some way. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm not being run over by a train right now. That's, <laughs> that's my, that's, that's my standard of well-being. Um, but with, I, I've taken a, a lot on this fall specifically, but somehow that, somehow that's energizing, um, for now. <laughs> but part of that work involves, speaking to many other people, either in my capacity as a teacher, as an instructor, and also as an astrologer through consultations. And I, it's, it's exhausting and also, um, so illuminating and it gives me strength in in another way, in a way that's surprising to me because I'm normally such an introvert. Um, but also finding time to devote to my creative work, which actually is more how I identify (laughs) or has been until the last few years, which is as a writer. So I'm, I'm working on, on, um, my current, a a book that I'm working on, (laughs) which will come out in 2022. And, um, every time I can actually spend a morning working on that, I just feel, I do feel a little more sane actually. Yes. I hear you on all that. Um, well, people can find me at um, kestelneathawk.com. And I, what would I recommend? Well, maybe I'll recommend something astrological as well. I have really enjoyed this book. It's called Gods of Change by Howard Sesportis. And he really focuses in on some of these outer planets we've been discussing, Pluto, Neptune and Uranus. And I just have found it to be one of those books that really helped me not only understand the archetype, but the psychology behind it and just really embracing um, the positivity of these changeable forces in our lives. And yeah, staying sane, my gosh. I mean, for me, I'm being in touch with nature every day is critical. I just find that resourcing myself in the present moment and lying in the sunshine and, you know, similar because, um, like Jasmine, I'm, (laughs) 
I've been building a house with my husband for the past four years, and we are like on the cusp of moving in. But as we get closer, it's like every little detail is eating me alive and just really having to (laughs) stay present. Um, And then the other thing, too, I know we mentioned Mars and we we with this retrograde mentioned some of the more negative challenging things of it but for me it just feels like it's this really juicy inner world of inner desire and it's taking place in my chart um it's called the eighth house and it just it's it's just like kind of challenging myself around my own views of relationship and sexuality and facing some of the taboo and it's just It's kind of a fun place to let myself brew that inner desire in some way and use it creatively. Like, how can I channel that energy creatively to fuel me? So um, that's been helpful. And I'm just so grateful that um, I am a psychotherapist, that I get to spend time with clients every day and to be such like on the front lines of this process and being a part of people's inner worlds, how they navigate this time and, um, yeah, being a part of that parallel process too. So, and you gals so true. Um, well, thank you all. Love you all dearly. And, um, until next time, I don't know what we'll talk about next time, but I'm, I'm feeling good about, about bringing all of your insight and perspective to the podcast so thank you yeah you're welcome thank you, thank Anya. you so it's much a pleasure <laughs> to be here hello again everybody thank you for listening to that episode i highly recommend you check out cosmic tonic and the offerings that jasmine kestrel and eliza offer um, if you would like to support this podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. Uh, if you sign up, you can participate in exclusive WhatsApp group chats, get to know each other. You can participate in our book clubs that we do every other month or so. Uh, there are book lists and playlists, t-shirts, all sorts of fun things. So patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. If that's not your jam, I totally understand. You can go into iTunes, hit subscribe, leave some stars and a review. That also helps the podcast grow and reach more people, which inevitably helps all of you because more well-known, famous, interesting people want to be on the show because it looks like people listen to it and it's legitimate and they enjoy it. Um, I am going to play you out today with one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite artists. This is San Louis by Gregory Allen Isakoff. This is off his album Evening Machines, which came out also right at the end of this apprenticeship that I did with these three ladies who you just heard. Um, He released this album during a very intense Venus retrograde, and we all sort of thought that he released it to coincide with that retrograde, and a lot of the themes had a lot to do with it. We also all met in person for the first time in Moffat uh, at a little uh, place called Joyful Journeys, a hot springs retreat, which is where we did sort of a midterm astrology retreat in the middle of our apprenticeship. Um, And that's where I am now in the San Luis Valley. So this song connects so many things to me, the life that was sort of brought to me by way of this apprenticeship and by way of these ladies and all the other amazing people that I met in the program and also 
the future and how I'd like to build more of a life here and build on this land that I bought. So this song, this place, it's all very meaningful to me, as are all of you. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I will talk to you next time.
I'm a ghost to you, you're a ghost to me A bird's eye view, a San Luis I'm a ghost to you, you're a ghost to me A bird's eye view, a San Luis I'm a ghost to you, you're a ghost to me A bird's eye view, a San Luis 